0: And so effectively, before I built a team, I built a board, you know, and again, it was was using things like LinkedIn, reaching out to people. I remember, you know, I found our CTO, you know, incredible, incredible asset for the company Um, by going on LinkedIn and searching for technology um, advisor and investor.
1: All right, guys, welcome back to the Back Yourself Show. This week, we have Alex Fay. He is the CEO and founder of Ethical Angel. Now, full disclosure, we did record one of these about three, four months ago, but I messed up with the sound and it was all rubbish. So this is actually a revisit, but it's a good time because lots of exciting stuff's happened since then and some pretty exciting stuff's about to happen with this guy. So look, let's start. Alex, imagine this is the first time we've met and tell me about yourself and what you do. Hi, <laughs>
0: right, Tom, um, well, great to be here again. I mean, as you say, look, it's been, it's kind of, it's kind of a uh, We um, We had a really great call last time, really enjoyed it. We were, I, think, I can't remember the dates, were we going into, going into lockdown?
1: Going into, the, going into the second one.
0: Yeah, going the second lockdown. Yeah. I mean, it all gone by in such a, in yeah. such a way. Um, but yeah, great to catch up now. We've had a lot going on, on our side, which, you know, we're forever grateful for. Um, and as you say, we've got some exciting, exciting events coming up in the not too distant future. Amazing! I love to share with you guys today. So look, so
1: let's kick off. Give everyone like, give everyone the elevator pitch. Tell us in a nutshell what it is you guys do.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're effectively a marketplace. So on one side, we have experiences that we provide to employees of businesses of all sizes. Uh, they're there for learning um, or or opportunities for personal impact. You know, effectively, anything that that employee is looking to do in a real world but virtual environment, uh, we can facilitate. And we do that by effectively selling. Uh, projects. I mean, we say selling, there's no transaction involved. It's just a model or the mechanism that we use uh, to charities, social enterprises, NGOs, uh, what we collectively call causes uh, from around the world. So everyone kind of gets what they want from it. It's a very sustainable model. Causes are able to shop on our marketplace and and find things like, you know, SEO optimization or or brand guidelines or, um, you know, support with a board presentation. Um, that gets put onto the catalog and, and provided and matched with employees that we've mapped, you know, for their skills, personalities, and, and any knowledge gaps uh, in a really wonderful and fun environment.
1: So how did you get into that? Like, how does the, where does that idea come from? What were you doing before you got into this? Because I, mean, I mean, there's a lot to dig into there, buddy. Like, what problem were you seeing in the world before you jumped into this?
0: I mean, I love to say that was, there was a problem. I mean, the, the truth is the frustration uh, That's sort of led to me setting up a company was, was more sort of uh, derived from a uh, disalignment of working for someone else. You know, was, I, I felt a need to do something. Um, and, and truthfully, right at the outset, there was nothing sort of really mapped out that was sort of a, a, a draw for me to, to, go, to go and do. So it started off as, you know, as a bit like, ugh, I, there's got to be a better life than this, right? Yeah. And then uh, my background was finance. So the original idea for Ethical Angel was uh, a fund. Um, It was going to be for angel investors in ethical investments. So great name for that.
1: Great name for that. Yeah.
0: And then we turned into something totally different. Um, And I suppose the truth is, you know, because I had no experience, no real understanding or awareness of the market I was in, we just rolled the punches and eventually came up with something that seems to be uh, selling.
1: I think that's cool. I think there's... um... There's something about that. Like most people think that like you have to have some stellar idea to, to have a startup. And I always say to people, i like, you know, like if I haven't got an idea, I said, like, everyone's got an idea. Just try something and it might evolve into something else. And my, um, one of my startup beds, a guy, James Hawkins. He works for a company called PostHog. When he started Posthog, um, it was actually called Hyberly. He got to combinate with Hyberly. By the time he left Hyberly, it evolved three times. It's Posthog, and it's just been through a monstrous ten million series A. Like it's mad. Like it doesn't matter. You've just got to like you just adapt as you go. Um, I think that's great. So you, your motivation initially, and I think a lot of people can attest, to, yeah, can feel this same emotion is that thing of like, I don't want a boss. Yeah. And most of the time, like anyone who works for me knows that there's a lot of bosses that are dickheads. Right. So there's like, you don't want that. You just want to do it for yourself. There's some real reward in that. And so how did you take that leap? So you uh, you decided you wanted to start a fund. Now, look, I'm hugely offensive about people who want to start funds. I'm like, have a real job first. But like, what did you, what made you think that you could do it better than everyone else?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, the truth is I didn't, which is why I didn't start up a fund. <laughs> I mean, it was very obvious very early on. Uh, that I was in no way qualified um, or had the credibility necessary to, to launch straight into the fun land. Yeah. So, I mean, what did I do? Well, I, you know, I spent two years, uh, you know, during this period of just being fairly disillusioned with the nine to five, uh, exploring ideas. You know, you literally started, had a notebook next to bed. Um, what could, th- could this work? Could this work? And, you know, I went through the idea. It was kind of funny, like these different ideas that you have. Um, and then, you know, I, I found this one, which was kind of like digitizing volunteering. You know, what is, what is the problem? What are the pain points? Like, why doesn't it work effectively at scale? Um, and then trying to talk with people uh, and learn as much as possible and in, in how they might be able to solve different elements of the problem. You know, whether they are a charity leader, whether they're a volunteer, or whether they're a business that just wants data, um, you know, how are we going to pay for it? And, and eventually, you know, you start to build up um uh, the, the business model uh very organically uh so as you say you know there's no eureka moment there's no, there no opportunity in a bathtub to uh, get all excited um it was just a series of conversations and uh prop, identifying problems and and working where the solution so you could find a way to fit it all together as a as a bunch of cogs in the clock
1: I'm so into that. I mean, you get some businesses like um, that have like sort of a basic concept. My business just started with, I wanted to I wanted to race my mates for money. But so that's basically what it was, right? Um, but then like it evolves into more because you realize that there's more of a market. There's more out there. And I think that's a really interesting piece you have there. So what was the first thing you did? Like when you had this idea, you're a bit like, this system doesn't work, right? I, get, I see the system doesn't work. It's a bit hard. And I actually, personally, I've experienced that place of like, I like volunteering. You know, I want to say it's because I'm a good person, but it's mainly because I like telling people I'm volunteering. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, but I'm still doing the volunteering. so That's fine, surely. Um, and, um, but I think, you know, what What was the first thing you did when you realized that there was a problem or rather you realized there's something you wanted to do? What was the first thing you did?
0: I, I suppose that the first thing that I did you know, on, on recognizing that there might be a business here. I mean, it, you know, it's as you say, you know, there are lots of different levels of business, right? You know, and you could set something up tomorrow. You could, Employ a few people, and, and you're a business person, you're an entrepreneur. Um, but I set myself the challenge of writing a, a critical essay, uh, asking whether or not, if I could solve this problem, you know, if I could digitise volunteering, uh, we would be able to, in effect, monopolise this market. You know, so basically, try to run through an argument as to what would happen if, and, and how, and, and uh, try to try to really determine whether or not this opportunity. Was not just good enough to set up a business, but good enough to set up uh, a businesses of the size and scale uh, that I wanted to be a part of
1: What a great idea! I did not expect that to be coming out of this school. That's a genius idea. It's a guy called uh, well, we there's run... <laughs> a guy called no, take it own it It's a guy called Tom who um, is the uh, co-founder of uh, a company that came on the show a company called Switched. And he says, the first thing you should do when you come with ideas write a pitch deck. And you've kind of done the same thing. It's a critical analysis about whether or not it's going to work. And I totally believe that. I'm like, I think that's the first thing I didn't mind. It. It's not about me, this show. Let's cut this out. But like, it's there's um, the first thing you do is you think stuff. Okay, right. Okay, let's, what's the problem? What's the solution? Who's my customer? How big is the market? And ultimately, all a startup is, is finding a massive market and solving something within that market. So you might own a piece of it. Okay, that's what you're doing. You know, when people don't realize like, how much does Amazon own of the global e-commerce market? It's not very much, okay, but they're doing all right. Okay, so it's like, it's, like, it's a really interesting piece. I think she wrote, she wrote this critical essay. Um, are you an academic by background?
0: God, no. I mean, I, I mean, you know, we, I think the best the best person I've employed was a COO. I mean, effectively just to read contracts before they come to me. I mean, the, the need to concentrate on sentences to sentences is, is not a strong point for me. So no, certainly not an academic, but I think what I, I do have um, uh, perhaps some, some element of or some talent for is, is looking at those big picture problems and, and seeing how different cogs can, can affect sort of the overall mechanism. You know, like, so I've, I've always been fascinated. I mean, I keep referring to cogs and clocks, but like I freaking love mechanical clocks. Like what makes a mechanical clock work and like how was something, um, you know, designed hundreds of years ago that, that changed the world, you know, that mapped the world. Um, able to sort of accurately um, uh, present time, you know, to, to within two seconds on a daily basis. And you, and you think it's all these mechanisms working beautifully in harmony together. Uh, and effectively, you know, that is in idealistic format, <laughs> a business, you know, if you can have an, an organisation with all of these different cogs sort of working in harmony, working together uh, to affect sort of the optimal outcome, um, you, you've totally sussed it. And so I suppose that's kind of where I came to this essay from, you know, is there an opportunity here to, to monopolize market? Do I have an idea which is big enough that if I can solve this problem, I have something that, that no one else has and, and that will, no one else will be able to replicate at the speed and the efficiency and, and the way uh, that I'm doing? And again, that's where it's sort of... So yeah, perhaps le- less, of a, less of an academic um, argument, more of a sort of a, a critical... <laughs> you know, if you imagine you're down the pub and you've got a very smart mate and you turn him my idea and he just rips it to shreds. I mean it's basically what I tried to do with with this you know is this is it big enough could it work and if so what will happens or, or why what will stop it
1: I like that it's like um I mean it's a great word here horological I think that um hor- I mean, hor- my horology to the stunt, well, hor- horology is the study of watches, isn't it? Or clocks or something like that. Yeah. Um, from Horace. Um, I guess showing off my fantasy education there. Twat. Um, and then I'm like, but horological. So this is your approach to, to building a business is, you know, looking at how the cogs intertwine with each other. Actually own that again. Alex Fay, the guy, the horological argument for building a business. But I think it's a good thing to do, though. I think there's something in that, like trying to, So, um, Amy Carey um, and Max Kelly, who are both um, former um, MDs, well, Max Kelly, SVP of Textiles, and um, Amy Carey, currently the MD of Textiles, both incredible people. Um, They, when you ask them, like, what's your one piece of advice you give to every startup? And it's like, talk to people. Like, if you go to people with your idea, and then there's going to be that guy in the pub who's going to be like, nah, mate, ain't going to work. And let me tell you why, son. Because of this, this and this. I don't know, I don't know why he's he's Grant Mitchell, but the point is, he's um, he's that's what's gonna happen. You get it all the time. And I think that's really good. I like the fact that you've done that, and if you don't have that resource, you kind of bring it internally and do it, do it yourself. So a really smart, um, a really a really smart move. In the current
0: climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much.
1: So once you did that, so how did you, so it wasn't just you at the beginning, you didn't start building up because you're not a techie, are you? No, 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 no. So, is, so what was the step between, yeah, you've, you've written this essay, you've come up with this amazing concept. And by the way, if anyone takes anything away from this episode, like that principle of doing a really thorough analysis of whether this is going to work or not, just that solving those problems as you go is a really smart move. And I absolutely recommend that to anyone. So once you've done that, what's next? Now, you've obviously shown quite a lot of self-awareness there because you keep saying like, I'm not this, I'm not that, but I am this. So, did you identify the gaps that you needed to to try and get into the next stage? Yeah,
0: I mean, look, the the the. I mean, as you say, I mean, um, (laughs) I'm very conscious of my inabilities. Um, I think I write on my. I think well, I think I wrote a couple of years ago, but on LinkedIn, you know, I'm not a talented entrepreneur, but make up for it in in just just cracking on.
1: Quite, quite, quite the opposite then of what you actually said, because a talented entrepreneur is someone who doesn't give up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, okay, well, fine. I mean, that just shows I'm not academic. But um, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the next stage for me was then trying to identify sort of a high-level team who can support with the particular verticals, you know, all the cogs uh, within so the early stage of the startup. You know, I needed someone who, who understood numbers and, and finance. I needed someone who understood uh, technology and, and what software was capable of, you know, and then someone who understood growing companies. You know, what, what does that actually mean to, to grow a company? It's totally different from taking an idea to market. It's like actually growing something. Um, and so effectively, before I built a team, I built a board. You know, and again, it was, it was using things like LinkedIn, reaching out to people. I remember, you know, I found our CTO, you know, incredible, incredible asset for the company um, by going on LinkedIn and searching for uh, technology um, advisor and investor. You know, and I think this person came up, sort of, pretty much, pretty much in the top
1: six. So wait, let's let's just stop there for a second for anyone's listening. So. None of this. I went down to a tech event, something written the Dallas Silicon Roundabout. I sat in Ozone on Old Street, waiting for a techie to walk in. You, you literally went on LinkedIn and you typed in, "Let's get this, Let's let's put this process together." You typed into LinkedIn search criteria: investor, mm. what else? Yeah. technology, um, and then I think advisor as well. And you—that was it. That was you got all three. So you got the trifecta. And this chap came in the top six. Tell me. Tell me verbatim, verbatim, what did you email this guy? Or what? was it in mail?
0: I mean, you know, it's, it's like the little lads, right? Always ask for advice um, and, and maybe they give you more. And, and that's kind of what happened this I Can we meet up for a coffee? Really interested in, you know, how you might be able to help me with this idea I've got. This is kind of what the idea is, um, up for meeting up. And
1: So what was the sell? So there's no sell there. There's, there's no sell. You literally were like, I've got this cool idea. I'd love to talk to you about it. That's it. Yeah, it's,
0: it's genuinely it was as simple as that. I mean, I'm sure I could find the original message, but it was it's pretty much that, you know. And you know, here we are, two years later, and yeah, they've proven to be an incredible asset.
1: How how many people did you send that email, that message to? The, he doesn't need to hear this, so we can. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, generally, maybe maybe half a dozen. Like, probably not many. You know, it, you know, i, I you know, I looked through a few different profiles, but. Again, not being an expert um, and perhaps being uh, overtly aware that I, I wasn't uh, sophisticated in, in a sense of understanding the areas that these guys were, were specialists in meant that I was reaching out to, you know, people relatively blindly. Um, you know, I, I didn't really understand what this person could do based on their, on their skill sets or on their CV compared to someone else. You know, I didn't really understand all the languages. I didn't really understand sort of all the, the operating systems that they worked with or, or how and where, what position within a stack they were. You know, all of this was, was, was Greek. Um, and um, yeah, that, that person basically took me on that journey from, you know, looking at an idea to really understanding how software could be utilized to uh, take, uh, take it scale and you know, effectively solve that sort of initial problem of uh, uh, why isn't volunteering digitized?
1: Amazing. So I'm really into that recruitment process. So how did you know that? Now, a lot of people, when they're on their first founder, it's difficult. And you know, I think um, if I was to give any advice for anyone for hiring is you look for three things. Okay. One, they're intelligent. Two, they work hard. And three, they're not a dick um, because you've got to enjoy working for that person. But what was it you were looking for specifically in this person? Was it just the fact that they could speak a language that you can speak? They had a vision you didn't have. But were there any other characteristics? It was just like, I just enjoy hanging out with this guy?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate that all the board and all the team uh, and all our various suppliers and vendors are, are really lovely people. You know, it's a pleasure yeah. working with them. Um, but I think the, the thing that stood out for me, with, with, if we continue to look at this guy, um well he kind of you rem- re- kind of reminded me of the end of the film the wizard of oz you know what i mean like the bit where like the wizard comes from behind the machine and, and actually shows that this big mystical object isn't actually that scary and that complicated yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah yeah
0: into a, a trumpet um and he kind of he kind of gave me that tuition in terms of what technology um offers you know before going into this you know technology was this wizard of oz machine it was, it was wonderfully complicated and and confusing and, and, as you say, totally alien uh, to anything I've like experienced today. Um, and, and what this guy, Tony, uh, we can call him Tony, Tony did, uh, was come from behind the machine and, and basically say, hey, look, you know, it's, it's not all big and scary.
1: Um, amazing. So, OK, <laughs> I think you need those people. I think you need people who can make the big problems small. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's super important because it is hard Like when it's up, it's tough. So you've been through that and you brought this guy and you built this team around you. <laughs> Let's. and I'm assuming you use the same sort of methodology to hire your other first you know, people to be brought into the team,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, at, at the board level, absolutely. Yeah, you know, as you say, it's like, uh, you know, where do, we have a, where do we have a skills gap or knowledge gap? And, you know, who's the very best person I can, I can reach out to on LinkedIn and, and get a coffee with and, and try to bring into the fold? Um, you know, and of course we built up an amazing ambassador advisor board as well. You know, it's incredible what you can achieve just through asking people for a for a coffee and a donut. Yeah. I mean the the team clearly slightly different, you know, right at the beginning, building up uh sort of an, an employee base. You know, you're just relieved that anyone wants to work for you for your your you know epoxy <laughs> idea that's not making any money. Yeah. And then, you know, as the years go on, we know we've only been going two years now, but um, as or coming up to coming up to turn but as we've been going for that time, you know, you become more sophisticated. You become a bit be more aware of where uh, you need to, to to provide resource, and and you know, that's where your hiring can get much more sophisticated in its in its approach.
1: Sure. So you um. So how did you fund at the beginning? Were you was it angels or did you your mates? Was it your own quiche? Like how did you?
0: Well, yeah, like the, the, first, the, first, the first batch just to get sort of a, a very, very basic working prototype going. You know, just enough to sort of prove it worked was uh, bootstrapping. I mean, literally everything just got plaid into it. And, you know, same old credit cards, lift off our salary for two years. You know, all, all the stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. All
0: the war wounds that we share with each other. Um, and then in terms of when Angel came in, I mean, Angel Money came in when we uh, were first able to evidence that we had something that we could flog. Something that you know, you know, we had we had our first clients, um, and then sort of VC or or we we had, uh, London PE and uh, overseas VC uh, came in, uh, sort of halfway through last year. Once we'd achieved, you know, some some pretty key metrics
1: to sort of determine that this this had legs. So what so what were they? So let's talk about that a little bit more. So what was the so when did you decide was the right time to go and get angel money? Were you testing it first? So were you speaking to people already? Um, yeah and uh, I can attest this to people who are listening I went out and got age of money when I had I think exactly fuck all Um, (laughs) you know as I go really early on Um, and but some people wait and I personally um, I think you should try and drag it out for as long as you can because the longer you go the more valuable your business is right okay so what was the right how did you choose the right time
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, I suppose a mix of both. You know, as as you can probably tell, you know, I'm I'm keen to talk and keen to meet people. Um, so, I mean, building, you know, a lot of angel investment is about getting people to to buy into your narrative, to buy into your vision, right? You know, it's it's unlikely that at that very early stage you're going to have uh, sort of sufficient metrics to to either validate the valuation that you're looking for from from angel investors. Um, Or or really sort of, you know, a a business model that's been sort of optimized to the extent that an angel investor can feel totally comfortable with with allocating funding if they didn't believe in you as a founder and your mission. So a lot of it was very relational for the angels, you know, is getting people to get to know you, believe in what you're trying to achieve, believe in the market, sort of um, getting them sort of bought into the idea of what they could affect. By supporting you with with capital, and again, you know, like our board, we've been super lucky with the investors and says that they're smart money and they support us way, way more uh, than an angel investor uh, probably typically would. Um, and that's and that's kind of the approach that we took with. Um, well, actually, you know, the PE and the, the VC was was easy. I mean, I got reprimanded afterwards saying that that was one of the easiest raises that our investment director had ever gone through, and that they, it wouldn't always be like that, um, which put me back in my place a little bit. But um, but again, it was, it was much the same, you know, talk about the vision, talk about the the, the mission and, and how your business model is different and going to achieve it. Um, and then hopefully the metrics will begin to support your argument, um, as opposed to sort of juxtapose the, the position of, the, of where you are coming in.
1: Well, you're in that phase now, aren't you? So you've been through the phase of setting the dream and now you're in that, right. Okay, buddy, you told me you're the right guy for the team. Here's some money to go and get yourself in that position. But now you're going through that journey where you're now having to prove that that hypothesis is true before you you go into Series Series A. So for you, what are the kind of things, and don't tell me specific numbers, what are the kind of metrics that you now need to take to that phase so that people will you know, believe that you can deliver? And just if I'm right, just tell me if I'm right of understanding it. So the difference between sort of pre-seed, seed, and Series A, if I butcher this a little bit, pre-seed is like, I will give you some money to build a prototype. Yep, seed. I'll give you some money to go and prove your hypothesis works. Series A. You've proved this works. Now scale this up. Right? Is that right?
0: Absolutely. Okay, that's, that, that's how I see it. Okay. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I don't think the narrative ever goes away. Um, or at least you know I I I I I think our stakeholders and investors recognize the importance of a narrative. You know, throughout uh, the fundraise or all the periods in between. Um, but in terms of the metrics, I mean you know, growing a marketplace or any digital solution, you know, there are certain key metrics that, you know, investors would like to see. And they will use that, of course, to validate the uh, valuation that you're applying to it. But, you know, valuations are, I mean, depends on how many people you want to buy it, you know. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's certainly not a science. Um, but that's where some of these conversations can come in as well. You know, so if you can show traction. So we kind of split it down down the middle you know on, on the one side it's, it's a narrative you know it's a continued update it's about which big businesses are signed up how they want to use it the the evidence that they are providing uh, us with as an organization to share with potential parties um that this is something that should be backed you know and again working in a in a b2b model where um your 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 sales are, are more like waterfalls than you know a standard trend um, that that evidence that narrative is is vitally important you know otherwise everything that you 're forecasting is is incredibly linear uh, and it 's just unrealistic hopefully hopefully unrealistic um, but the metrics are are absolutely critical as you say right uh, as you as you 're trying to, to showcase that you 're able to scale you have those metrics based you know a positive net retention rate certain uh, mrR again you know if you 're looking at that as a multiple for valuation i think I think again you know, different ways to to value companies um, but we also look at other things as well as an organisation. So we look at our our user base. We look at how uh, good they're being. You know, are they are they doing what we want them to do as users? So, you know, we when we promote a certain type of content to a particular user base that we want them to follow a certain action, how many of them are are converting in the way that we want them to convert? And you know, what can we learn from that? Um, and then finally, you know, the one, I think probably one of the most important ones uh, is employee. Uh, net Promoter score or, or team net promotion score how how much do the team buy into the vision how much how much do the team feel that they're supported to run their cogs you know again going back to the clock if you've got a cog that's out of sync the whole the whole mechanism is going to break um so how do the team feel you know how do how do the how do the guys who are actually sort of on the front line trusted to to action some of the, the big ideas um uh, feel about about work at the company so yeah it's a mix of mix of m- metrics mix of uh narrative um but again, you know, obviously, it's going to it's going to differ from business to business, depending on what it is that you're doing and and how you're selling it and how you're likely to
1: scale. Okay, so we're getting to the end of this. So I want to write a couple of real quick fire questions for you. What was your What would you do differently if you did it all again? What's the one thing you would do differently?
0: <laughs> one thing I would do differently. Um, I think um, I think the most I, the thing that I I most wish I could change I think is the effect that uh, the stress and the tension of, up a company has on, on those around you. And I, and I, you know, I wonder if, if I had the opportunity to do something again, you know, I'd like to have been less of a, sort of a dick at times to, um, you know, family and friends, because uh, I am so caught up, you become so indoctrinated to, to the, to the companies, you know, you know, you live and you breathe it. I mean, you wake up at two o'clock in the morning sort of with another problem and another solution. You need to tell everyone about it. No one gets in the office till nine o'clock and you're like, why aren't you here? Um, you know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, I mean, if there's a way, if there's like a, you know, if there's a, a magic solution that I beginning to learn now, I think, sort of becoming so, a bit calm, a bit sort of more uh, reflective uh, rather than emotional, I, I would like to have applied that. So yeah, perhaps, perhaps being a little bit more aware about how my inner, monologue and battles are affecting other people.
1: I I respect that. Um, A really close friend of mine, Kevin Montserrat, uh, CEO of uh, Consilience Ventures, says to me, the one thing you need to get right before you start a company is make sure you have a support network around you because it's gonna be tough. Okay, what is your one single piece of advice that you would give to every single founder? (laughs) Get that support network. There you go. We'll take it. There you go. <laughs> it's in there. I like that. All right. Okay. Okay. Last one. I'm obsessed with productivity and I believe um, in um, about, I care about being productive. I don't care about being busy. Founders are the most productive people on the planet, I believe. What is your personal productivity hack? What's your personal piece of advice to make sure you're always performing at your best and producing the most?
0: I mean, look, it's it's for us, it's, it's 100% a team effort and it's about ensuring that you know, every employee or stakeholder in the company uh, feels safe to experiment with stuff and that if something does break or something does go wrong, like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, we, again, you know, there's all these books and adages that I will, I will inevitably uh, destroy by trying to quote them. Um, But like the the whole point is that we're continuously trying to build something totally new. You know, no one else has done anything or experienced the journey that we're experiencing. So we're gonna make, we're gonna make the wrong decisions. But if you can keep making decisions and keep doing stuff, eventually you will stumble across the, the right thing. So I think key hack, uh, make people feel safe to, to try stuff out.
1: Amazing. I love that. Alex, it's been amazing. I'm Genuinely so helpful. So many great tips and information there. Thank you so much. I'm loving watching your success and uh, good luck with the Series A.
0: Thanks, mate.